Hello and welcome to the second episode of Booze, Booms and Busts. This is a podcast that is intended to uh, combine both uh, beer consumption and beer reviewing with financial market commentary. And I'm joined today, as always, by Sam Volkering. Sam, how are you getting on? Uh, fantastic. I mean, we made it to episode two. I, I, again, I can't guarantee. Well, I know we had a few people uh, listen to our first episode last week. And so hopefully they'll come back for more. And if not, then this will just be a fun little conversation between the two of us going forward. But I'm great. And it's great to, to be here for episode two. Yeah, quite. Now, uh, what are we actually going to start with this week in terms of our, our beer? I think we've, uh, we've selected Moonwatcher. That's right. Uh, and that yeah, and uh, can you tell us a bit about uh, a bit about this beer? So uh, yeah, Moon Watcher, and uh, this one comes from the Mondo Brewing Company, uh, where they are down in London, in Battersea, I believe. Um, and so it's a three point eight percent, and here we go, it's a session pale. Now, for anybody that listened last week, uh, you may now already know about my issues with the term session when it comes to beer. Uh, as we touched on last week, every beer is a session beer. So I, I, I'm not that impressed from the get-go by the branding uh, of Moonwatcher, albeit the labeling on this thing is exceptional. It's, it's yeah. hypnotic, I would say. Very, uh, a very aesthetic-looking label, and I am always the sucker for, uh, for a decent label. There's always uh, something, something to do with that novelty aspect, I think, really... Uh, Really, it really hits home. But anyway, I'm. Uh, well, we're got in terms of our rating system. Of course, uh, if you if you didn't listen to last week's, uh, we have we are still ironing out the details here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We we are rating these beers from the top being du- uh, triple B, triple B, yep, and then from and then from triple B down to double B, single B, and then down to A, double A, and triple A. And the reason we're doing this is following the uh, the investment grading. Uh, for uh, investment bonds. So tri- with triple B, we've kind of flipped it around where triple B is actually the last grade below junk in the investment bond world. But as it matches the acronym of this podcast, we're going to say triple B is the, you know, it's the booze, booms and busts, you know, it's the gold standard. And of course, we can, you can also do a, a double B plus or a double B minus. Yeah, there are, there are bits in between, aren't there? And, and it, it should be pointed out that that was complete coincidence, the fact that the, the acronym fits with this inverse investment rating uh, strategy we've got for, for the beer rate. It's quite convoluted, but nonetheless, it, it, it fits with what we're trying to do here with beer and the yeah. markets. Um, but what yeah. are your thoughts on the first sip of the Moonwatcher? Uh, I must by? say, yeah. Moonwatcher by, by Mondo. That t- it tastes like grapefruit juice, I must say. Are you getting that as well? <laughs> It's got a, It's got that um, tang to it. I'm like, yeah, I, I can see it. It's, uh, yeah, it it, it kind of hits me in the back of my jaw. I've had my wisdom teeth out, so you know, there's those, <laughs> you, know, you know, those gaps that exist where your wisdom teeth used to be. You right, kind of yeah. feel the tingle back in there when I uh, when I have this one. You can tell it's only three point eight percent. By the way, it's it's nowhere yeah. near as um, punch you in the face as some of the ones that we had last week. So. You know, I get what they're going with the idea of session pale because you could quite easily drink a lot of these. Again, it kind of comes across as the sort of beer you'd want to have uh, on a sunny day. Yeah. Uh, very uh, refreshing, I would say. That, that yeah. is, it is crisp. Yeah, very crisp. You could really drink a lot of that. Like if you'd been for a run or something, I can imagine gulping this thing down really, really quickly. 
Yeah, it's actually on on second and third <laughs> sips of it, 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 it. I think you know that could quite quickly turn into an eight nine. I don't think it's going to take me too long to get through this one, believe it or not. But it is yeah, quite, quite it is quite. it is quite refreshing. I will I will give you that as well. It's I mean I'm not sure you'd want it handed to you as you're jogging past a station in a marathon, but you know each I'll to their own, I suppose. <laughs> Quite now, in terms of uh, sort of the the financial aspect of this, uh, when we when we were uh, getting getting some of these beers together, and when there was Moonwatcher, uh, you know, we you have to uh, you have to uh, discuss crypto, of course, because oh, it's obvious. Moon the the moon so for years probably will be there for years. I mean, they had a. They had a NASCAR, uh, you know, racer that was uh, completely decked out in uh, lunar decor with the with the Doge, uh, you know, the Shiba Inu dog on the on the front bonnet, just because of the whole when moon uh, crypto, uh, you know, so lingo and slang. Sam, uh, would you like to would you like to explain to the, to our listeners what the what the moon, uh, you know, what the moon reference really is? Yeah, well, so it's it's a quite a common uh, term or phrase in cryptocurrency circles, and I, it's kind of bleeding out into the stock market now with um, the 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 rush of millennials into into investing. But moon is basically a reference to a rocket ship taking off to the moon, because sometimes uh, with the cryptocurrency markets, you can get into a cryptocurrency and literally in the space of hours. Um, the thing can just skyrocket in in value. Uh, you know, I'm talking hundreds of percent, sometimes thousands of percent in in a day or two. And you know, back when crypto really started kicking off uh, with uh, everything else that wasn't Bitcoin. So Bitcoin, if you wind right back, um, started in in January 2009, started to get a bit more traction and, and awareness in wider, I guess, online circles in in 2010. In 2011, and then in sort of 2012, 2013, 2014 was this first wave of altcoins, uh, which uh, really just exploded. And, and you know, there were these cryptocurrencies that literally, in the space of, of, of days, were doing 1,000, 5,000, in some cases, 10,000 percent gains. Uh, and then, in just as fast a time, you know, falling off the cliff. But that initial uh, FOMO, that that high rise, that that skyrocket to the moon just became known as as, as mooning <laughs> as a kid for me mooning was a very different uh <laughs> was a very different description to things and right. yeah but for in the crypto circles you know when moon just is the question about when is this altcoin going to skyrocket um yeah. and for a long time and in 2017 it was it was really applicable as well and you know, it, it, it sort of signifies the the craziness of those early crypto markets. Um, we don't see it as much at the moment because the, the crypto markets have gone through a bit of a consolatory period and, and are really gearing up again for a next level of development. But um, back then, early in 2013, you know, when Moon was, you know, was, was abundant and in 2017, it just came back full force. And, and so now when we, we see, anytime we see something that says Moon on it, um, you know, you instantly can't help but think of of when Moon and then the crypto markets. Yeah, I think Moon Watcher is probably a very good uh, for a very good uh, label or a description of somebody who is a, a you know an observer or observer of the of the crypto markets in general. There's a um, there's a place in Austin, Texas that sells uh, you know it's got it's got just called Crypto Art and it sells this 
these great, uh, great prints that have been specially commissioned by various artists. And they also allow you within the print, if you buy one of these paintings, um, and you can get them framed and all of that, it actually, they'll actually allow you to keep your uh, private keys. Uh, well, in fact, it, effectively, the painting actually is a wallet in of itself. It's its own digital wallet. So the, the painting can actually own effectively some crypto. Uh, and there's a special like plate that you can pull back at the back and that would allow you to view the, the, the uh, private keys. And they did one, in fact, they did two paintings that were specially done for the halvening events when the, uh, the, when the Bitcoin supply in terms of the freshly minted supply is cut in half. They did, uh, there, were, there were two and they were just called Moon or Bomb and it had a, uh, a very, uh, you know, it had two people and with the, the halvening of one of these old uh, sort of meter sticks that were used in a very sort of, uh, but much more primitive financial uh, circumstances with people uh, with ledgers of debts and assets and things. And so it had one of these being cut in half and it was the, the Moon or Bomb uh, idea was simply because some people believed that uh, you know, on the on the point of the halvening, the Bitcoin price is going to rise because there's much less uh, supply coming into the market. And then there were, you know, there was the counterpoint where people saying, no, 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 if you're if you're cutting the supply of this thing, then it's actually going to cause it to uh, cause it to collapse due to the uh, mining difficulty. And that sort of some, that moon or bomb uh, sort of phrase, I think, I, I think really sort of rings true to this sort of all or nothing attitude yeah. that crypto investors have. It's quite, it's, it, it's, you know, it's kind of similar to the venture capital space, you know, where people, where these, you know, big firms are investing in a hundred companies and they're expecting all of them to fail except one or two. And those one or two are going to do so well that, uh, you know, all of those losses don't mean anything anymore. Uh, mm. I think it's quite similar with that crypto investor where it's just, yeah, we just need one of these things to work. <laughs> just one. Come on, just one. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I completely agree with that because, you know, there's, it, it, in the early days, it's certainly in 2013 and 2014, it very had, very much had that um, aura about it of, you know, there were these pie in the sky ideas that, you know, could perhaps really make some some big changes, but it wasn't, in the sense that it wasn't VC money or, you know, the, the big money coming to it. It was just, you know, nerds and, and, and online uh, hobbits <laughs> like myself that were, that were looking at through these forums and, and you only needed it one or two to really, you know, pay off to, to make you know, a fair, fair bit of value. I mean, and you didn't have to dump loads of capital into it either to start with, you know, it's a bit different today. And 2017 was, it was a, a different ball game in that respect as well. In terms of, you know, when it came to, comes to crypto markets there, you know, it was still quite a wild uh, experience and that you know, anyone with an idea could really launch a project and raise effectively millions in, in crypto. And, you know, a lot of those have just fallen away and fallen to nothing. But at the same time, when, when those kinds of crazy periods come along they bring a lot of other benefits such as um, well they do bring capital right so they do bring capital and some of that capital gets reallocated uh, into projects that actually do succeed and create new networks and new opportunities it brings a lot of human capital as well so there's so many more people working in the crypto space that help to legitimize it to create real industry real opportunity jobs i mean you know, before 2013, there was Bitcoin, it was very much, you know, and still is an open source project. Um, and so, you know, when you're working on Bitcoin's code itself, you're not, you're not effectively getting paid. You're only getting paid in Bitcoin if you're mining it or if you work for a company that's involved in building the ecosystem and they pay you anyway. So, you know, a lot of these open source projects are for the love of it. 
um, and in helping the community to, to move forward. But certainly, certainly now when you look at the space, it's so much more sophisticated and it's so much more mature. Um, and just, you know, when Bitcoin started in 2009, so just over 11 years ago now, from that period to today, there are literally thousands upon thousands of people that are now employed in this space, in this industry, in cryptocurrency or cryptocurrency projects. There are companies like Coinbase with over, you know, valuations over a billion dollars. There are investment funds like Grayscale that are, you know, multi-billion dollar funds that have got crypto holdings. Um, you know, there are custody solutions. The expansion in just 10 years in this industry has been mind-blowing. So, I mean, that alone is, it's like the, the whole crypto space has already mooned external to values of actual cryptocurrencies, the wider, broader space, when you look at the big picture, um, it's, it's crazy how much has, has really happened. And while I go back to sort of Bitcoin as the start of that, most of this development in the space has really only happened probably in, I'd say, the last four to five years, which makes sort of, I guess, the next period in time just as exciting you know, my opinion is that I think that the next phase is going to be more exciting because we're starting now from this really big, you know, wide, stable base of, of, of valid, legitimate projects that are building out real networks uh, for the future. It's, it's pretty cool stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, there are there are so many ways that we could take this this conversation. We'd probably, you know, it would expend, you know, it would extend much longer than simply, you know, one podcast. I think. Yeah, we'll we'll touch on this again. I think in the coming. Oh yeah, week. of course, of course. A lot of it's, people, it's, well, it's inevitable. It's inevitable. Yeah, a lot of people are really interested in. I know a lot of people in our age bracket are really interested in um, in cryptocurrencies and beer. So you know, it does. You know, and and look, cryptocurrencies fit into the bigger financial markets and bigger bigger picture when it comes to global finance and uh, and all that so you know we'll definitely be touching on this a lot more in the weeks and you know maybe years to come you know when spotify uh pay us hundreds of millions of dollars <laughs> buyers to to exclusively be on their platform denominated um, in bitcoin i might ask just to be paid in bitcoin i'm not gonna lie paper wallets that have been kept in cold storage and that have no, you know, that that have not been spent since they've been mined. Just so you know, it's uh, it's a well. You've you've got less traceability, I guess. So we could, uh, you know, keep keep it keep it more private. Yeah, well, exactly. There's there's a lot of a lot of things that we could do. <laughs> yeah, quite. I guess we cross uh, that bridge the, when we get to it. Yeah, quite. Uh, I think on the um, on the on the subject of uh, sort of Moonwatcher and everything, and you were talking about you know looking over the the history of the. Uh, of the crypto space, uh, like from for me, for, for like one of the one of the key sort of lights along the way of that of that development and that maturity of the of the crypto space was Dogecoin. Simply because you know, not because the the current like the the technology was really doing anything massively yeah. innovative, but because it showed you the uh, you know, the depth of sort of com the, the community side to it. And the very interesting ways in which the community then tried to sort of spread the word of what was going on in a way. So Dogecoin was, uh, for those watching, uh, was inspired by the Doge meme, uh, which was, I think, began in 2013 or 14 was the, the Doge meme for it, first came out, which was just a very sort of, uh, sort of uh, anthropomorphic uh, figure of a Shiba Inu, you know, the Japanese breed of dog looking uh, sort of skeptically at the camera 
And uh, anyway, a lot of people took the uh, the Litecoin source code. So they took the uh, you know after Bitcoin was created, Litecoin was created uh, in a, as a as a similar project, but with slightly different parameters. And and to this day remains something of a of a test bed for what uh, Bitcoin uh, engineers want to do with Bitcoin space. Uh, they might try it out first in the, in the Litecoin, Litecoin ecosystem. So someone then took Litecoin and they made effectively a duplicate of it and called it Dogecoin. And so the, the whole idea was you were just getting paged, paid in Doge and the ticker was just Doge all in capitals. And um, you know, had a huge, what, what they changed from the Litecoin code was the fact that they just made the supply much, much bigger. So the <laughs> inflation rate of this thing is huge. Uh, and they just created, and people were just buying it because it was funny. You know, you just have, oh, I'm going to yeah, invest. Yeah, that was the in whole point. Yeah, yeah it, was just a, it was just a meme, and everyone would be saying, oh, we're going to the moon, right? Yeah, the, you know, Dogecoin is to the moon. It's, you know, it's going to be the true one world currency, you yeah. know, all, the, all these jokes. Pictures of the Shibu Inu on a, on a rocket ship literally flying to the moon. That, that was, yeah. that was the, yeah. they were the memes, right? Yeah, it, I mean, it was, it, was, it was hilarious. It was a, uh, and it was just crazy how some people just wanted to keep pushing the envelope with just how, how they could make themselves look like how they were taking it very, very seriously when in fact they were actually just joking around. Um, but you know, there's, there's something in that right as well, because you know, the, I think in, in terms of taking the piss a little bit with it, um, there was also a bit of a reference to taking the piss of just you know, global finance as well. I mean, if you could come along and take a copy of a copy um, and create value effectively out of nothing, which I might add still has uh, tradable value to fiat money, oh, yeah. um, and and they've even uh, unofficially but officially appointed Elon Musk as the CEO of Dogecoin. Um, you know, it's it's just a continuation on of of this, and that um, it, it's it's funny. It's almost like it's a it's like a, a funny protest um, experiment that you know if enough people do get behind something and give it value and believe it has value, regardless of how ridiculous or stupid it might be, then it still has value. Um, and when you look at the, the financial system and the way that central banks print money rampantly at the moment, you know, you can't help but laugh and just think, well, you know, they're, they're making a bit of a, a joke. They're taking the piss when it comes to the money that sits in our online banking uh, accounts or the, that flows to us from our employers that we're supposed to use in the economy. Why can't we just do the same thing in the crypto world and, and maybe have that as the, the world's unit of currencies is the doge. Yeah. I mean, there's that same confidence game kind of thing going on Though with doge, of course, they didn't, after the, you know, the initial parameters were set up with, you know, what the, what the mining supply was going to be and you know, what, what the, I, I believe they uncapped the total amount of doge that could ever be mined. Uh, but you know they would. What I found so uh, so interesting about it was like there was this. Uh, what would the word be for it? I guess it was this very sort of charitable side to this thing where the Dogecoin uh, sort of community uh, managed to raise vast amounts of money for charity. And then there was that time when uh, you know one of these major crypto exchanges got hacked, and they uh, they spawned the Save Dogemus meme because it was Christmas time at the at the time, and they managed to raise enough money through people. Uh, donating Dogecoin in fiat terms uh, that they could actually reimburse all of the people who'd lost all of their, all of their Bitcoin and whatever through the, uh, through the crypto exchange getting hacked. And then they managed to make, raise enough money, as, as I mentioned earlier, to, to sponsor a NASCAR driver. So they managed to, right. his car just had that Doge face just on the bonnet. The and then with, with, 
yeah, with the with the lunar landscape in the background. It was, uh, you know, it was, it was one of these things where you just the the effect of the internet on the real world. Yeah, um, it's, it would be just impossible to imagine if you didn't know what the internet was. If you were if you were around before the internet, uh, and then somebody told you that this had happened, it would be very it would be very hard to understand. But when you sort of think of the very strange things that happen when uh, you know people allow can be connected to each other. Um, where previously they wouldn't have been able to be connected and they get to message and everything. You just end up with these very strange things occurring, right? Yeah, I mean, like if you, you switch back to, I don't know, say the mid to late 90s and, and tell somebody back then that this is what, um, you know, 2013 to 2020 was going to end up like where uh, a bunch of people, a community on the internet could connect with each other in a way that they could create effectively new money uh, from uh, co- computer code, uh, and then raise donations uh, to use uh, for charitable purposes to to put on a on a NASCAR for sponsorship. Um, you know, you'd you'd positively look at somebody and just think they were a nut job. Um, right. But you know, the the speed in which these sorts of things can evolve um, and develop and become reality is frankly mind blowing. Uh, and a lot of it is because of the internet and the way that we can connect, you know, what it, I think what it also reinforces is the power of a community. If you can connect and, and that's particularly relevant today with, with everything that's going on geopolitically and socially in the world is that if you can connect and mobilize enough people for a particular cause, you're far more powerful than any government or central bank's going to be. Um, and whether that's for social justice, whether that's for, um, you know, new avenues of, of how we look at finance and money doesn't matter if the, the power of the people is actually quite big and as sort of um, grandeur as that might might sound. We now live in a, in a time where you can do that if your cause is worthy enough and enough people believe in it. Um, you know, that shift and that balance of power away from centralized authority is a lot easier to wrestle away. And I think that's going to be a real continuing trend for the next decade and beyond and that's gonna that's gonna shake up a lot of industry a lot of incumbent industry the financial system in particular is going to get an absolute flogging uh from some of these sorts of developments yeah i think i'd put a twist on that and say it's more the power of networks that are key rather than the power of people because people of course take up uh, make up that network but i think uh, in the face of some of these networks the individual is actually actually kind of gets usurped in a way. But anyway, we have uh, we have kind of gone off slightly on a tangent in terms <laughs> yeah. of I I've finished my my beer for that matter. I'm about two sips behind you, so I'll let you I'll let you go into uh, what you might think on the rating on this one. Quite. So this is Mondo by Moonwatcher. As we said, it is a a session pale, and it is has an alcohol percentage of three point eight percent. I think uh, on on thinking about this, it's pretty uh, it's very refreshing. As I said earlier. Does taste like grapefruit juice. If you hate grapefruit juice, then uh, you you might not like it too much. Even though, uh, from what I can uh, read on the label, it doesn't have anything to do with grapefruit juice. They haven't put in any of that in it, but it does uh, evoke the same kind of taste. I would, from our uh, from our triple B being the best and our triple A being the worst, I would rate this a a single B. I think it's actually very good um, and very refreshing. Sam, what do you make of it? Yeah, look, I, I, I agree with you that it's very refreshing. Uh, and I see where you're coming at it from the grapefruit juice. You know, it has a bit of that sort of sour quality 
to it that, as I said, sort of gives you that mouth, that, that jaw tingle, which I could actually quite like because I think it does add an element of refreshingness to the drink. I think you'd want to have this on a sort of sunny day. And you could, you know, this is the kind of beer where you could rock around. Actually, let me, I think this is the best way to describe it for me. It's the kind of beer that you would take around to a mate's place. Uh, you'd probably take, you know, a half dozen of them if you're in for, you know, the whole afternoon. But if you only kind of got through five, it's the kind of beer where you'd kind of nip to the fridge on your way out and take that last one with you. You know, you know, if you have some beers and they're like, they're okay, but you know, if you left them at a mate's place, you're not going to lose much sleep over it. I think I'd like this enough that I'd be like, actually, you know what, this one's coming home with me. So I, uh, I'm actually going to give this a B plus. Oh, very good. Yeah, that's. Yeah. I think that's a very good, uh, very good description for uh, for what what puts some beers over other ones. Now, in t- in terms of our uh, our next one, what we've got next up is this uh, Shifty, the double dry hopped New England IPA. That's right. This is the Shifty. Now, I'm going to read exactly what it says on the label because if you looked at the label, you'd just see Shifty DDH Nipa. Um, yeah. So that, that doesn't say a lot. To most people, but uh, yeah, as as you say, uh, now this is from the Drop Project, uh, I believe. Now I don't know a yep. lot about uh, the Drop Project, but on the can it says Brewed Missing Link Brewery, the old dairy in Chiddingwell. I've got no idea where that is. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, RH nineteen forty US. I uh, I would definitely need GPS to help me get there. Uh, yeah, that's that's a uh, Google Google Maps job if I've ever seen one. I have. Yeah, yeah. I think Drop Project. Uh, I've had several of those before, and it's uh, it's a winner for me. Uh, but I've not had this one before, so it'll be uh, it'll be quite interesting. The uh, the can itself is is quite bright, and and if it was on the shelf, it certainly stands out uh, from everything else. Yeah, it's like a, yeah, it's almost psychedelic that yellow and green, and then with the uh, sort of geometric uh, parallel lines and the. It's got the a similar line. smell actually to Moonwatcher. Uh, with a with a bit of a sniff of it <laughs> which at 5.2 percent though it's going to have a little bit more punch to it i would assume actually i don't think this has too much of a punch they, they've managed no. to disguise this pretty well mm, indeed it's uh that's quite smooth actually isn't it yeah so yeah, uh, i don't know what do you think about that one I think uh, I think uh, there's something with the smell when, especially with double dry hopped uh, uh, beers, where the smell can be kind of overpowering in a way. Like it's almost, um, it's almost like it smells. It's almost like it smells like some kind of, uh, almost like some kind of vegetation, I suppose. But in terms of the taste, it tastes great. Um, that, that's a winner. Uh, maybe they're putting too much on the hops, but it still tastes pretty good. It tastes very smooth. Yeah, it tastes. Uh, it tastes quite. For me, it tastes dense, I guess, is probably the word, first word that comes to mind. As though there's a lot in there. It's quite, you know, I feel by the end of this, just this one drink, I'm actually going to kind of feel probably a little bit uh, bloated Whoa. from it, a bit full <laughs> from it. Whereas, like you said, sort of with the Moonwatcher, you could kind of drink them quite regularly. I get the feeling from from this and even, you know, looking at the coloration of it uh, as well, that it looks pretty pretty hearty <laughs> yeah it's pretty opaque isn't it i mean you yeah. cannot see anything on the other side of the glass no but, i could literally stand on the other side of this glass and be completely hidden from view <laughs> yeah well, i guess the uh, shifty well, i mean it kind of suits, suits the name i suppose uh you know it's kind of not it's not altogether in one place it's not altogether 
uh, sort of one uh, one taste really. Uh, pretty shifty, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I haven't quite I can't quite put my finger on the on the actual taste from it. Like you said, that initial smell is a bit dirty <laughs> in, mm. in the kindest well, way. Like, yeah, it, it, it's almost like compost. Like, and uh, you know that sounds really really bad, mm. but. Not, it's not as bad as compost, but it, it's something like vegetation to me. That's what it smells like. Yeah, and it's got, I think it's got that element of uh, there is something about that coming through. Is that It's almost like you, they, they've sort of blended up root vegetables in with it to give right. it something in there. But at the same time, I mean, it's, it, I think I'll have a view by the end of this, but it's, uh, it's certainly different. different. Now, yeah. while we're on the topic of shifty, um, you know, if you're if you're ever on Twitter uh, that much, and and the prime minister decides to post something through his uh, official Twitter feed, uh, the word shifty comes up, funnily enough, <laughs> pretty regularly uh, when good old Bojo starts posting things. And this week, uh, Boaz, so there are a couple of big events that that took place this week, and we'll get we'll probably cover off on the first one, uh, which chronologically happened first which is beer day britain monday the 15th of uh june 2020 was beer day britain um and then then we might just touch on as i said when people are talking about shifty and i'll explain exactly why after we've talked about beer day britain but uh this also this week kicked off uk australia free trade talks um and when boris posted his video online talking about these he held a packet of tim tams up to the screen to talk about tim tams and the exportation of boomerangs from the UK to Australia. So we'll touch on that again uh, in a moment. But Beer Day Britain, Boaz, what, what, what were you up to on Beer Day Britain? Yeah, I actually, uh, I, I wasn't uh, looking at the calendar. Uh, I, I don't think many people really have in lockdown in terms of looking at the calendar, checking the time, uh, or really anything like that. The days have mostly become a blur. But when I did discover that it was UK National Beer Day, I was, uh, I was very pleased indeed. Give me yet another excuse to drink in the evening, which was, uh, you know, always much appreciated. Uh, and I had a, a, a very pleasant time. Uh, it was a very, it was a fine work day. And uh, at the end of it, it was, uh, it was very good to crack open a few beers with, uh, with UK National Beer Day. It is, um, you did actually mention to me, I believe, uh, about the, uh, or the, the campaign, campaign for real ale, which sadly is not much of a thing in Scotland, where I'm from. Uh, but uh, it was, it's cancelled this year, right? Yeah, so the camera and the, the campaign for Real Ale, they do a, a beer fest every year, which I think was scheduled to be in August uh, this year. And I had all intention of getting down to it, but it has obviously subsequently been cancelled. I mean, even though we're only in June uh, and we're already hopefully getting the elimination of, of, of social distancing and, you know, people are already clamouring over each other just to get into the Nike shop in Oxford Street and... You know, kids going back to school and, you know, daily deaths are lower than they are for pretty much any other illness or disease out there. Even though that's all happening, uh, unfortunately, Beer Fest has been cancelled. So I had suggested that we do our own and we may do a special uh, Beer Fest podcast when that <laughs> falls, where we, we, we may just do an all day podcast and we might even get some, maybe we get some guests on and literally just drink it through at least a half dozen and i guarantee oh, yeah, yeah. by the end of that the conversation is going to be wild mm. yeah yeah we're probably going to want to uh we'll probably want to listen to it again before publishing it 
Yeah, well, you know, I when I upload the these to Spotify, I do do tick the explicit content box uh, <laughs> because I'm known to to sprout uh, profanity from time to time, and you're a lot more sophisticated than I am, Boaz. But I don't, <laughs> I'm not sure after a half dozen of you know shifties or uh, a gentle nod. Uh, the modern barley right. wines. I think I think they might be coming from everybody by that stage. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see. You you flatter me, Sam. I, I must say, but it it will be quite a it will be quite an experience uh, if we manage to get that. Would be great. It's a great idea to get a a number of other folks on, um, and you know, even just an hour in you know these these weekly ones we do uh, to have the occasional guest on, uh, provided that we can get them we can get them drinking the same beers as we can. Uh, then that would be uh, that'd be great. Yeah, well, as we said, we uh, we've been buying them so far from Ghost Whale in London, and and I plan at least on doing so that we can get the same ones, and uh, hopefully, if we get some guests on, they can repeat that process, and we can get everyone on the on the same page uh, in that sense. And you know, we may even get uh, from time to time uh, someone from a brewery to come in and talk about their beer, and if we don't like it, then we'll just tell it to their face that we don't like their beer, which should be an interesting conversation. Yeah. Um, but I did have a question for you. So uh, when we were talking about Beer Day Britain, um, I, I suggested that we maybe think of some sort of memorable time that we relate to beer uh, or, or the consumption of beer and, and, and a lesson we may have learned from that. And then in, in sort of in hindsight, I realized that it's quite rare that you actually remember your most memorable beer experiences because kind of the most memorable ones end up being the ones that you never remember. Um, So it's almost more like asking for a dramatization or a reconstruction of what you believe to be some of your memorable uh, beer related stories and and maybe an investment lesson that we can draw from that. Mm, Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a very good, uh, it's a very good question. I I would probably add a, add a mild, a mild caveat to to what you say with, uh, you know, memorable, beer experiences that cannot be remembered due to the beer i would say well provide if they are repeated then they become slightly more memorable which actually applies slightly to uh, the uh, the investment story that i uh, well it's not quite an investment story uh, you can sort of draw whatever you like out of it but uh, one of the um, uh, many years ago when i was a financial advisor and i was living back in aberdeen and uh, we you know we go out uh, uh, we, I'd go out with my friends and we'd go for uh, many beers uh, over the weekend. And uh, one of these times, uh, and it was probably one of the um, experiences that really uh, made me appreciate uh, you know, beer uh, as it is and all, all the various varieties you can get of it a lot more, was when we discovered, um, it was in one of the fridges behind the bar, there is a bar in Aberdeen called Cask, uh, which that's C-A-S-C, which uh, I still frequent whenever I go back there. Very nice uh, craft beer and cigar lounge, and um, when I was there, we there was this beer behind the bar uh, that was called a long forgotten journey, and a long forgotten journey is made by Siren Craft Brew, but it's not one of their core beers that they make all the time. It's one of these that they only make occasionally, and um, you know that it, it became it's, it, it has become since in quite short supply bottles of this stuff, and what made a long forgotten journey quite so special was the fact that it was a barley wine so you know very strong i believe it was a uh, had a 10 percent abv uh, but it 
what made it really quite special was the fact that uh, Siren had managed to acquire a uh, a Grand Marnier, uh, yeah, a Grand Marnier uh, barrel. So you know, one of these barrels that uh, is used for the creation of the um, you know the orange liqueur that is used uh, an awful lot in cocktails. Uh, they've managed to get a barrel of this stuff, and they were aging this barley wine in the Grand Marnier bar barrel, which made it uh, it gave it this incredibly interesting, so really strong, really rich. Uh, but this sort of orange peel kind of flavor in it. And it, as it was 10%, and we were very keen on getting uh, as much alcohol into our bodies as possible, <laughs> this became quite, uh, it was almost weekly routine with going to this bar and getting the next bottle of A Long Forgotten Journey. And it was pretty expensive for what it was. Uh, and generally, you would probably have quite a few beers first before you would decide that it was a you know, perfectly reasonable financial decision to go and buy this next bottle of A Long Forgotten Journey. However, we, uh, you know, over, over time, we, would, uh, we, we end up going through all of their bottles of A Long Forgotten Journey. Uh, and it was, you know, it was a great experience, uh, although rather expensive. But it was a very, very good beer, A Long Forgotten Journey. And actually, interestingly, today, when I, when I was thinking about this and I was having this, this podcast in the afternoon, I was wondering if there were any vendors out there who were still selling along with Gotten Journey because they're not making it currently, so you need to find the old bottles. Uh, and thankfully, I did actually manage to find uh, a few of these, which I managed to buy uh, from a website called beermerchant.com. I don't know if there, there are any left after I've uh, after I tried to uh, plow through their inventory. Cleared them out. <laughs> yeah, it was. I mean, it's such a such a good beer. The ones I bought were from were from 2018, so they're you know it's not it's not something that's in in a huge amount of uh, a huge amount of uh, you know circulation, but you know it was, it was a fantastic beer, and we'd we'd just keep going back. It would be this weekly thing with hoping that they were going to sell along with Gone Journey, and that somebody else hadn't bought them all first. But simply with the you know that the the name of Along Forgotten Journey and the the whole sort of process of discovering this thing, and then uh, sort of following on with it, and that sort of ended up was one of the key reasons why. Uh, you know, I guess one of the reasons why we're having it, doing this podcast because we both like beer so much, but it was this beer that made it, uh, you know, really quite, it really piqued my interest with this. And you go with a long forgotten journey for all manner of investing strategies that have simply fallen out of the mainstream, you know, when everybody is going for passive investment uh, schemes, when everybody is going for momentum, which is kind of sort of passive on steroids, momentum <laughs> investing strategies. Uh, when everybody's going for, uh, you know, they're just chasing the the growth trade, so they're just, you know, continually going for these uh, tech names, and they're pretty much always in the U.S. is where all all of this money goes. Uh, a long forgotten journey. Uh, you know, there are there are plenty of investors out there. Well, I say plenty, but there are plenty of investors out there who used to invest on different principles, right? Fundamentals used to matter in investing. And these days, it's really, you know, the, the, the idea that studying a, you know, a company, looking at the balance sheet, checking the cash flow versus market sentiment versus uh, passive investment flows that are dominating uh, sort of market structure, as it were. A lot, I think a long forgotten journey uh, can be used to describe an awful lot of the other ways and the other sort of uh, ways of looking at investing uh, that, that we both do at you know, South Bank Research. But a lot of the a lot of the ways have just sort of fallen away that people don't look at it anymore. Uh, when people are, you know, they may be thinking about gold, they may be thinking uh, about sort of uh, cycles because you know central banks have managed to kick recessions away for so long. You know, cycles don't matter anymore. 
um, you know, the you know, central banks have cured recessions, we're not going to have them. Is that kind of thing where these old things that used to matter, I think they will matter again, but they have been since forgotten. So that, that would probably be my, uh, my, my, my story that I would take from it. What, what would yours be? Uh, mine's a little bit more, um, well, I guess mine's a little bit not as sophisticated as that. And, and that it probably reflects in, our, <laughs> in the way that we look and uh, assess the beer. <laughs> You're very, very much better at, um, at uh, picking the taste profiles of these beers than I am. Uh, which obviously no, 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 no. I'm, I'm sure our listeners will, will figure out very quickly. But I remember one of the probably the things. So I used to live with uh, my brother and uh, a very close friend of mine from high school. Now uh, I've always been uh, you know involved in investments and, and markets through education, school, uni, uh, and then in the professional world as well, investment advising and so forth. My brother ended up uh, in banking and is a commercial banker uh, back in Australia at one of the big banks there. And my mate, the other guy we live with is a professional uh, athlete and is now a uh, professional sports coach uh, in cricket. So we all lived together for a few years and, and let's just say we consumed a lot of, of beer in those years as most young guys do the, the living with their mates or, or siblings or whatever. I remember one year uh, at Christmas, we, um, we had a bit of money from looking after some of the gardens uh, uh, at the flat that we lived in, as well as our own funds. And we ended up buying a number of slabs, uh, which over here, I believe you guys call cases. Uh, so a slab of beer is, you know, 24, 24 beers in a, in a slab or a box, whatever you want to say. Anyway, so um, we piled them up on top of each other uh, to the roof twice. Um, and that was that was the Christmas drinking um, pile. So it was bigger than the does. Christmas tree, and you know my brother's six foot four, and it was over his head. So there was a fair fair bit of fair bit of beer to get through. Um, and we used to keep the bottle caps, and we reckon in this in this little basket, and there were probably about. We reckoned when we moved out and and decided to count the bottle caps, we figured probably at least one in five to one in seven of the bottle caps made it into this basket. And when we moved out, the basket had uh, a little over 1,500 bottle caps in it. So, you know, it gives you a little bit of an idea of the kind of volume that went through that, that house in the space of a couple of years. Admirable it, volume. <laughs> it was respectable. Um, but we came up, so as I said, being involved in, in finance and investing and, and my brother in a similar sense as well. And my mate uh, always certainly from, uh, you know, he's always been fit, still is fit, has had to be, um, you know, being a professional athlete and then subsequently a coach. And uh, for a period of time there, did a bit of, you know, personal training and stuff anyway. So was, he's always sort of come to things from a fitness perspective. And we, we sort of were sitting together one evening talking about our consumption of alcohol and came up with uh, a economic ratio, which we describe as the pot to fitness ratio. So if you don't know what a pot is uh, in Australia, a pot is a small, a small beer, basically it's, um, it's roughly, I think about 300 mils. It might be a bit less. I think uh, basically you guys call them half pints over here, but in Australia we refer to them as a pot. So when you, when you used to go to the pub, uh, you get a pot, you get a pot of carton draft, you get a, a pot of, um, you know, whatever it might be uh, on tap. Um, and so the pot to fitness ratio is an inverse relationship where you can be exceptionally good at drinking a lot of pots and stay reasonably uh, sober and compensmentous, uh, but be incredibly unfit. So if you're exceptionally good at drinking beer, 
you're usually very unfit. Right. But then at the same time, on the other end of this scale of the, the fitness ratio is the extremely fit people that are incredibly fit, really, you know, all about the health and shockingly bad at drinking pots. Massive so, lightweights, yeah. Real lightweights. So you've kind of got these two, you know, the, as I said, they're these, it's, it's, a, it's an inverse relationship. But there's a sweet spot in the middle of these two uh, these these two two uh, axes basically, and the sweet spot is the perfect pot to fitness ratio, so that you can be quite good at drinking a lot of pots and be fit enough <laughs> to be what people would consider reasonably fit, but not be either or. And we figured that right in the sweet spot of the pot to fitness ratio was the bulk of people that we wanted to be friends with, and <laughs> at either end of the scale probably pushed out to the bridges. Now, the, the investment side of me thinks that, you know, the lesson that we learned from that, A, was the fact that we could create some sort of a chart that plotted out uh, people's capacity to drink piss and to not drink piss while at the same time being fit or extremely unfit and find that sweet spot. But mm. it also, you know, also makes me think about how I look at companies in terms of you can have these companies that are really, really good at doing something like, you know, maybe developing their technology and be absolutely rubbish at marketing it or, or putting it together or um, getting it out in a commercial sense yep. and, and vice versa. You can be, have these great companies that design these wonderful things and that are rubbish at pushing forward the development of the technology and things like that. And that really the best companies, the ones that we all really want in our portfolio, the ones that find this sweet spot in the middle of being able to manage, uh, I guess, a number of, of things that help them be not just um, commercially successful, but achieve greatness. So if you think about a company like Apple, for instance, exceptionally good at design um, and also exceptionally good at technology development, but there are companies that do do design better than them and there are companies that do do technology better than them. But what Apple do is they find that, they found that sweet spot and sort of pushed it higher along the, uh, what I would call the pot to fitness ratio. But in their, their, their world, they probably call it like a design technology ratio or something like that. And so it's those companies that you look for that really hit that sweet spot uh, in, in what they're able to do with their product or their service that really makes sure that they're, they're not being super overly perfect in one thing at the expense of actually getting it out to people and, and becoming a profitable uh, and successful business from that. So now I think our pot to fitness ratio has a lot of use cases uh, in assessing the people that you hang out with uh, as well as how you look and, and think about companies or markets as well. Well, Sam, I, th I definitely think you've beaten me with that story. That's uh, that. I think that's a, that's a marvelous sort of metaphor that you can apply uh, from from one way to the other. I mean, with the um, when you this is just sort of a this is the minutia of it. When you say pot, like this is something completely new to me. Well, is pot effectively the same size as you would get, you know, a Coke can here in the UK, or is it smaller than that? Yeah, look, it's about the same size as a, as a Coke can. It, it'd be like having, uh, yeah. Uh, a, a, bit, a bit smaller, actually, to be fair. So it's not quite a half pint, but it's not right. far off. So you know, in Australia, there's, well, it, it's just to overly complicate things, it then also varies state to state. So right. in, in Victoria, uh, Melbourne, where I'm from, a pot is the smallest um, 
the size that you get. You then move up to a schooner. Um, you, schooners may be available here. That's sort of like a three-quarter pint. Uh, and then pints right. uh, are the full whack. A pint is a pint back home as it is here. Um, then if you move into other states, there are other definitions. So uh, there's a, a pony and a midi and a pint if you're in New South Wales, I think. And if anyone's from New South Wales listening to this, feel free to correct me. I just, I don't, even I don't understand all the different definitions of beer sizes in Australia. What about Tasmania? In Tasmania, I, I, I don't even know. I, albeit they have two of the finest breweries uh, in the country down there. So there's the James Bogues uh, Brewery, which is really, if you're ever in Australia and you get a chance to go to Tasmania, go down to James Bogues because that's a beer. Now, actually, having said that, while we're on the subject of Australian beer, and I might bring this up because we'll, we'll sort of wrap up our podcast a little bit more of a succinct time frame this week. Yep. Um, but speaking of Australian beers, you might be starting to see a lot more Australian beers like James Bogues, um, like Cooper's, uh, which is a beer from South Australia. Uh, we spoke about Little Creatures last week, which is from over in WA. Um, Victoria Bitter, which is obviously from Victoria and, and Carlton Draft, uh, uh, some of the bigger sort of more affordable beer brands uh, in, in Victoria. But there are obviously you know, other, a lot of other boutique beers and, and things like that. So the beer, beer industry in Australia is huge. A lot of beers get drunk. We don't drink Fosters in Australia, just in case anybody was wondering. It is, it is basically cat's piss. Um, and, and so what I'm, uh, what I'm saying is that a lot more Aussie beers are likely to be hitting the UK shores because of, as I said before, these talks of a UK-Australia free trade agreement, um, which kicked off this week. And, and as I referred to earlier, the video of Boris Johnson on his Twitter feed talking about the special relationship that we have with uh, Australia um, that's my best, that's my best Boris impersonation. And he mentioned that, you know, the, the UK actually exports boomerangs to Australia, which I found absolutely hilarious. I didn't that, know that. Yeah. That's, that's, um, that's wild. Um, but you know, he, he referenced the fact that, uh, the penguin biscuit over here may go to Australia and, and, and our Tim Tams would come here to the UK. And if you've never had a Tim Tam, um, I'm not it will change your life. It's not a penguin biscuit, it's better. Um, but that also applies to other industry, um, whether it be agriculture, um, you know, technology, education, healthcare. There's a whole load of different opportunities that a free trade agreement between the two countries, I think, will benefit both of us from. And one of those being, I think, the alcohol industry, beer and wine, um, seeing either complete reduction in tariffs on those um, or elimination of tariffs on those. I mean, the idea of free trade is free trade. Um, and that's a good thing because there's a lot of concern about the economic uh, potential of the UK after Brexit. But when you start to look at some of the opportunities that then open themselves up, like free trade agreements with Australia, that's big on exporting agriculture, um, big, uh, again, like the UK is a very high knowledge economy. We're not a manufacturing base like the UK used to be in the UK is not like a manufacturing giant of industry that they used to be. It's a, we're both countries are much more high knowledge industry um, generators these days. So, you know, there's going to be a lot more sharing of, of that and, and development and innovation and investment on both sides. Um, and that comes, you know, I think that's a great thing for the UK. And I think that's a great thing for Australia as well, is that these are opportunities that all of a sudden start to present themselves um, and, and that's good. That's good for beer drinkers. That's good for wine drinkers. 
uh, that's good for people that love a Tim Tam or, or a bit of Vegemite as well. But it's bigger than that. You know, um, a lot of people have really focused in on the idea that, you know, oh, who cares if Tim Tams and Vegemite come into the UK? You can already get them here. But it's more than that. It's, it's healthcare. It's um, biotech. Uh, as I said, you know, things like new technologies like AI and, and, and uh, quantum computing, all these sorts of things uh, come with this sort of a free trade agreement, which hopefully they can iron out. Right. Yeah. I mean, like uh, there are plenty of naysayers. Uh, yeah, the likes of the, the Financial Times are, of course, you know, plodding forward with their uh, relentless uh, anti-Brexit re approach, saying, uh, you know, the, the, the maximum benefit that we have modeled uh, that you know the UK could ever achieve from being in a free trade agreement with New Zealand and Australia would be 0.1% addition to GDP over the next 15 years. But I, I'm generally a lot more skeptical uh, on, on on what you know those those sort of institutions say about this kind of thing. It does seem like a very interesting opportunity, especially from an investment side, when you have these uh, you know old bastions of the Commonwealth coming back together again in a, in a more you know, we're already you know, back together in some degree in terms of our, our membership of, you know, in terms of our um, sort of national security, the, the defense side of things. Uh, mm -hmm. But to get even more of uh, an economic link with Australia and New Zealand does seem like, uh, you know, it could be, uh, it could be a, very, a very interesting opportunity. By the way, uh, Sam, before we, before we wrap, wrap these things up, is it true that people from Tasmania are not called Tasmanians? but Taswegians. <laughs> That's actually correct. How did you hear about that? I heard it for, in an investment newsletter uh, where, uh, from, from an individual who said, oh, well, we don't know what, call, what goes on in Tasmania in Australia. You know, it's a, it's a completely new, new arena. Uh, the, it's rumored that people who live there are called Taswegians, which I find very amusing, or the whole Glaswegian thing. And it, it is true. They are, we, we refer them as, as Taswegians. Um, <laughs> there, there are a lot of different iterations of what the different states call each other. But Tasmania is a beautiful place. It, you know, it's, it's uh, very, you know, the, the Hobart, Launceston, um, great cities. It's a beautiful part of the, the world that not a lot of people get to but should do because um, it's sort of the island off the island. But there's, you know, there's industry down there. It's not certainly not massive like Melbourne or Sydney. Uh, in that sense, but um, you know, if anybody ever travels down there and you are doing a big trip of Australia and, and you don't have Tassie on your agenda, put it on there because um, it's it's spectacular. It's the kind of uh, kind of environment and kind of um, uh, geography that uh, that will just blow your mind. Well, I certainly hope to uh, whenever I can get down to Australia in the future. Uh, but we are running slightly low on on our time here, so it should it is time for a rating, I believe, of Shifty by Let's Drop do that. Project. Sam, away you go. Right, so yeah, uh, it's 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 got those sort of uh, that earthy feel to it. You know what? As I got towards the end of it, I actually started, I think, to enjoy it a little bit more than I think the first sort of shock of the smell and the taste. And again, I don't don't mean that disparagingly, but uh, I think it's a, a bit of a again a bit of a grower in that sense it, it, it's definitely smoother it doesn't have the same sort of carbonation that you get from most beers that you wouldn't expect that from from one like this and it, it has got a bit of a kind of i think you know what i think i'd enjoy drinking this with i think i'd enjoy drinking this one over um over the winter time with a, a stew 
like a, a beef stew or something like that. I think that's where I would probably put that and, and quite enjoy having this beer. I wouldn't drink loads of them. I maybe only probably have one or two. Uh, but I think that would be sort of where I'd position it. And in terms of a rating, I mean, I actually said as I started to enjoy it a little bit more as we got through it. Um, and I think I would probably enjoy it a little bit more the more I had, but at the same time, couldn't have too many. So I'm actually going to give this as well. I'm going to give this as a, a B plus as well, uh, like Moonwatcher, but very different circumstances in which I'd actually have either one. That's a, that's interesting, Sam, because, uh, you know, I was actually thinking of giving this the same as I gave Moonwatcher as well, which is just a B. Uh, yeah, I'd agree with that. I think, uh, by the end of drinking this, um, it tasted much better than when I'd started it. Um, it does, it is, uh, as you say, it's quite filling. Um, I'm not sure what actually I, w- I would eat it with. The idea of beef stew, I mean, that, that fits. I, I was wondering whether or not I would want to eat anything with this because it is really quite, quite filling, quite sustaining, <laughs> you know? So it's like, it's like one of these, uh, you know, drinks they give Meal in a can. Uh, yeah, <laughs> like it's full of, uh, you know, it's full of you know, slow-release carbohydrates or whatever. It does taste, uh, it's really quite sustaining. But no, I I, uh, I agree. Like in terms of, so it's not you know it's not it's not the best, uh, but it, it is very nice, very fine. Uh, it certainly doesn't taste five point two percent. And oh, and just to correct, correct myself from earlier, it isn't a New England IPA. It's a New England Pale Ale. Pale Ale. Get incorrect. Yep. But it is uh, it's very nice. I, I would rate that on on our system. I'd rate that a single B. But Sam, do you have any uh, any closing remarks before we finish this episode of uh, Booze Booms and Busts? Uh, no, look, I think it's, it's been an interesting week here in the in the markets. It's been you know a bit choppy, a bit volatile, a little bit up, a little bit down, and then sort of at the end of the week, it's sort of ended up where it started with. I think uh, you know the the moon watcher and the talk about crypto markets. I think that's something we'll touch on again. And um, as I said, there's a lot to look forward to uh, for the United Kingdom and investors in the UK. You look at you know these free trade agreements, and you look at. Uh, where the market's positioned at the moment. And there's, uh, there's a lot to be excited about, which, you know, like I said, we'll, we'll cover off a lot more of this in the next few weeks and the opportunities that exist there and the different types of beer that uh, you could pair with your investments going forward. Indeed, indeed. But that does sum up uh, the latest episode of Booze, Booms and Busts. If you do enjoy listening to this, do give us a follow on Twitter. There is the, beer, uh, there's the Booze, Booms and Busts Twitter account. If you just search for those three words, you should be able to find us. Or if you'd like to follow us individually, we can go. you can follow at Sam Volkring or at Federal XS if you'd like to follow me and Sam. But that is all for this week. and uh, We hope you enjoyed it. If you have any uh, you know, recommendations, do feel free to connect with us on Twitter and uh, send us what you would, what you'd prefer to hear in following podcasts. But that's all, as we say. And we shall be back again next week.